Jesus has taught us to worship and petition our holy heavenly Father with shameless persistence. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. We hear a lot of talk these days about this particular word, this idea right here. That is the word privilege. You know, one definition of privilege is this. It says, a right or an advantage gained by birth, social position, effort, or concession. But, you know, we hear a lot about this today here in terms of socioeconomic advantages, and the discussion clearly has a decidedly political flavor and racial considerations. But I want you to know I'm not here to talk about that sense here today. I'm not talking about privilege in that current cultural zeitgeist sense. How many of you remember that term, cultural zeitgeist, right? We're not talking about it in that sense, but rather I want us to reflect here for a moment on privilege in a spiritual sense. You know, we said before that one definition of privilege is a right or an advantage gained by birth. But I want us to think about privilege here as a right or an advantage that is gained by the new birth, by the new birth. That you, through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ then, are a child of God. You are a member of God's family. And remember that old advertising campaign, membership has its privileges, right? I'm, probably, I'm dating myself a little bit there. Was that American Express back in the 70s or something like that, I think, right? Well, membership in the family of God has its privileges. And some of the privileges that we have as a child of God will include eternal life, eternal hope, peace with God, intimacy with God. But this last one here is access, access to God at any time. Think about the privilege that you have as a follower of Jesus with access to God anytime. We're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so with that precious privilege of access to the throne room of God comes this particular privilege, and that is the privilege of petition, the privilege of petition. Now, you think of petition, maybe you think of somebody going around door to door, want you to sign something, you know, they're looking to enact some kind of change or something, they want you to sign a petition. Well, I don't mean that kind of petition, but I do mean petition in the sense of something that we are looking to make a change, to make a difference in some way. 
We might describe that petition or define that petition here then as a solemn supplication or request, especially to a superior authority. That's one definition there. Petition is a solemn supplication or request, especially to a superior authority. So think about that for a moment. As a child of God, you have the privilege by virtue of the grace of God in the new birth to come boldly. Think about this, this privilege you have that you may come boldly before the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, gracious Lord of the universe and petition him. You are invited, actually commanded even, commanded to come anytime, all the time, before him and express your petitions, that is, your requests to that most superior authority of all. Do you realize what a privilege that is that you have? We have. And I wonder, do you, do I, do we avail ourselves of that privilege as we ought? We're continuing here then today in unique, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been following then uh, this series of messages here uh, through this book that is suggested for us called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur, in which he has arranged the events and the teachings of Jesus into a harmony of the Gospels in a chronological order then. So for today then, we're looking at Lord, teach us to pray, in particular, petition. Our scripture is Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. So teach us to pray, and specifically here then, petition, petition. And here is what I want us to take away from this message here today, is that Jesus has taught us to worship and petition our holy heavenly Father with shameless persistence with shameless persistence. little context here for us. The disciples asked Jesus, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And rabbis would teach their students particular prayers for them to recite. And certainly Jesus' disciples had that in mind. But I think there's a little bit more going on here than that. I think the disciples were impacted by watching how Jesus prayed and how it undergirded everything that he did. I think they wanted to learn to pray with such confidence and life-changing power as they saw in him. And so this prayer that Jesus taught them is referred to as the Lord's Prayer because it was the prayer Jesus taught them. But I think it might also be called the Disciples' Prayer. Why? Because it contains an element that Jesus himself would never pray. What element do we see in this Lord's Prayer that Jesus would never pray for himself? Forgive us our sins, right? So this is really, this is a disciple's prayer. We certainly do need to pray it all of the time. I know at least I do. 
But this prayer, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, should be understood then as an example or a pattern for us in how we pray. I think it's fine to pray it word for word as it has been given to us, but it should never just become something that we just mindlessly repeat. But I think it's a good pattern for us, and it gives us, if you will, some of the ingredients that should go into prayer. We see this recorded in the Sermon on the Mount, but also on the Sermon on the Plain, as Luke records it here. Now, I believe that these were different messages to different people at different times in Jesus' ministry. And you'll see here many similar themes with some notable differences, including here in this prayer. Matthew included it as part of uh, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But here we see it in response to a question from one of the disciples then. So let's look at the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. We're told, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Teach us to pray. The disciples were requesting that Jesus would teach them to pray, but I would pray for all of us that Jesus would teach all of us here to pray. And not just to, to, to learn more about prayer, but to pray. Last week and for the next couple of weeks here, we're going to be focused on this passage of Scripture. And I want us to note here three 
three key elements in this passage about prayer. And they are worship, petition, persistence. Worship, petition, and persistence. Worship is what? We are declaring and praising God's infinite worth and value, who he is, what he has done, what he has promised. He is worthy of worship, of declaring his infinite value and worth. Petition. Petition is what? Bringing our requests to God. And then persistence. We don't quit. We don't give up. We keep on coming back. We come boldly before God's throne room. We saw before in worship here that in worship, we said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven is teaching us to whom we are to address our prayers. It's to the Father, to our heavenly Father. Hallowed or holy, holy is your name, is telling us to worship God and to praise him for who he is. Who is God? What is God like? As we contemplated before, we said God is holy. He is infinitely and unchangingly perfect. God is infinite. He is self-existent. He is without origin. He is immutable. He never changes. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? doesn't change his mind about you or what he's promised, right? He's self-sufficient because he has no needs. He can meet all of our needs. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You don't need to hide from him. Well, you can't hide from him anyway, but you don't need to. He knows everything, and yet he still loves you anyway. Isn't that good to know? He is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. He is wise. He is full of perfect and unchanging wisdom. He always knows what's best and the right way to accomplish the best ends to anything. He's faithful, unfailingly true. He's good, unchangingly kind. He's just. He's perfect in all that he does. He's right in everything he does. He's merciful, unchangeably compassionate. He's gracious, infinitely inclined to spare the guilty. And he's loving, infinitely and unchangingly loving. So this is the God to whom we pray, to whom we petition. So let's focus then now on petition. Teach us to pray, worship, petition, Earlier, we defined petition as a solemn supplication or request, especially to a superior authority. And what are the petitions, the requests that we see in this prayer? We see several petitions here. First off, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, one commentator says this. This phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a reminder to us that we are to pray for God's purpose, God's plan in our lives and in the world. Not our own plan, 
our own wishes or desires, but to pray, to pray that God's purposes be fulfilled. They be fulfilled in the world. They be fulfilled in us, in our lives, on earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will done in heaven? <laughs> Absolutely. And so it is a prayer that his will be done like that here on earth and in us, in our lives. Do you pray for God's will to be done in your life like that on earth here as it is in heaven? Unquestionably, immediately, Sometimes we may be afraid, we might be a little afraid about the will of God. How many want to admit, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Maybe you can just kind of, you know, quietly in your mind raise your hand here. How many of you are a little afraid to pray for the will of God because you think, I might have to do something difficult or I might get challenged or stretched in some way? I think I have to admit I've had my concerns about that before. But you know, if we've been following Jesus for any length of time and we've learned to do that, we've discovered what? That the will of God is always best. It's always better, isn't it? It always is. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Align, Lord, align our hearts to conformity with your will, your purposes, your plans. Another petition here says what? Give us day by day our daily bread. Now this speaks to what? To our our needs, our daily needs. Certainly daily bread, food, that is one of the most basic, right? But I think there's a little more in view here than just food. I think it's all of our daily needs. And it is to come from a spirit or an attitude within us of daily, moment-by-moment dependency on God as we trust in Him to meet our needs. Now, you notice there I said our needs, not our wants, right? Now, I have discovered that sometimes God is delighted to give me my wants but only after those wants have first been filtered and molded through the lens of his will and his purposes so that my wants align then with his wants. And God is generous, and he does love to give. How many of you have been shocked at times at just how generous God is sometimes, right? But here then we're saying, Lord, give us our daily bread. Meet our needs day by day, moment by moment, and it's a spirit of dependency on him. You know, we can, we can go a couple of, one is, is we can become pretty self-sufficient, can't we? And thinking that I've got this covered, well, I don't need God, I'm doing just fine. Until something happens and you realize you do need him, right? We always need him. Yeah. That's, right, that's right, right? We always need him. When we think we don't, we're fooling ourselves, aren't we? So that's one thing, is we can become very self-sufficient, think, thinkingly, so that, that, that we, can, we can handle everything ourselves. But we need to acknowledge that daily, moment-by-moment dependency on him. But another, another extreme that we can go to here, though, is, is we can become 
so worried and fretful. He says, no, we're, we're, we're not to become too sufficient in ourselves, but nor then should we then become so worried but trusting God daily, moment by moment, to meet our needs. You know, the Apostle Paul speaks in Philippians chapter 4 then, how he is rejoicing at the kindness and the generosity of the Philippian believers, how they have helped him and helped to supply some of his needs, and he's thanking them for that. In fact, the book of Philippians is maybe is, is the world's longest thank you card, perhaps, right? And, uh, and he says then that he's learned to be content. In Philippians 4, verse 12, he says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Isn't that interesting how he puts them together? He's learned the secret of facing hunger, but he's also learned the secret of facing plenty. He's learned the secret of facing need, but he's also learned the secret of facing abundance. Isn't it interesting how he puts those together? Because need and hunger can cause us what? To worry and to fret, become anxious. Whereas what? Facing plenty and abundance can cause us to become comfortable, self-sufficient. I don't need the Lord. Wrong. So he's learned, whatever his circumstances, he can be content. And what is the secret? Philippians 4, 13 is the secret. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And he goes on to tell them that he thanks them, that it was kind of them to share in his need. And he says in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise that is, right? God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We see another petition here in this prayer, and that is, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This is why we call it the disciples' prayer. Jesus wouldn't pray this, would he? But we need to forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is is indebted to us. Don't you like how there's there's this assumption that if we are asking God for forgiveness, of course we are forgiving others, right? Of course we are, right? Right. I heard that, Rich. Uh Uh-huh. But we ought to be. We'll just go with that, Shelley says, right? (laughs) Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who are indebted to us. It reminds us then to confess our sins to God and to turn from them, but then also then what? To forgive others just as God has forgiven us. Now it's important to note this is not a prayer for salvation here. You know, when we put our trust in Jesus, we are forgiven for most of our sins, right? No, we are forgiven for all of our sins, all time, and we are delivered once for all from the eternal punishment that our sins justly deserve. 
So that's not what's in view here when we say, Lord, forgive us our sins. But rather what? This has in view here a restoration to intimacy and fellowship with God. When we have sinned as believers, as children of God. You know, I wish that I didn't sin anymore. Some of you wish I didn't either, right? But Don't we all wish that we didn't sin anymore? Well, I got news for you. The day is coming. We're not going to sin anymore. We won't even be capable of it. We won't even be tempted by it. But until then, we still have that capacity within us, don't we? And sometimes we do sin against God. All sin is ultimately against God. But sometimes our sin is against another person. So he says, Lord, forgive us our sins so that we can be restored to that fellowship and intimacy with God as his children. 1 John chapter 1 speaks as this, what if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the sense there. This is the believer whose sins have already been forgiven in terms of our eternal destiny. This is about that relational intimacy with God forgiveness here. If we confess our sins, when we confess, the word confess literally means to agree. It means to say the same thing. So when we agree with God, when we call it out, when we're calling it what it is, agreeing with God about that, he is faithful and just. God will always forgive when we ask sincerely. And he is just, he's right to do it. Why is he right to do it? Because the price has been paid in Jesus. He's not just overlooking it and saying, never mind, I just love you so much, I'm just going to let it go. No, it's been paid for by Jesus. So he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That God is at work as a child of God. God is at work in your life cleansing you from all unrighteousness. It's another petition here says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Sometimes people get a little confused by this. Would God lead me into temptation? What does this mean? Say, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, first let's make something very clear here. God never tempts us to sin. When we say tempts here, attempting is what? It's an invitation. God never invites us to sin. He never says, come on, you know you want to do that. Why don't you go ahead and do that? God never does that. Who does that? The enemy. Our flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil tempt us by what? Inviting us to sin. And the goal is what? Is our destruction. So God never tempts us to sin. But he does allow us or even put us into positions where we are tested for the purpose of being built up in our faith and in Christ-like character. 
So God never solicits or invites us to sin, but he does allow us to be in positions where we are tempted by sin, but he has a very different purpose. The enemy's purpose is to do what? To tear us down, destroy us. But God's purpose is to do what? To build us up. To build us up. So then what does this petition mean then? Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, I think it means this. It is a plea or a cry for help in achieving victory over sin and a request for protection from the attacks of the devil. It's a plea for help in achieving victory over sin and a request for protection from the attacks of the devil. You know, James speaks of trial and tribulation that we face, and he doesn't say if you ever face trials, but what? When, when we face trial and says, what? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, not if, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's goal in testing or trial is to make us mature, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, to be everything God wants us to be, to transform our character more into the image and likeness of Jesus, and to be equipped then for all he wants to do in us and through us. Boy, well, how do we figure out how in the world can this trial help me grow in Christ? Well, wouldn't you know it? What does he say? Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. You know, oftentimes we will quote that verse, James 1.5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, it will be given to him generously. We kind of quote that as like anytime we're, we have some kind of decision to make and we're not sure, we need wisdom. And that's okay. We should seek God in that. But specifically, this wisdom is what? How to grow through trial and testing. Lord, teach me how to grow through, tri- through this trial. Teach me what you want me. Give me wisdom to know what you want to do in me or what you're teaching me through this. Then he goes on in James 1, verse 12. says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So God does not tempt us but he does work through it. He does allow us to be tempted for his purposes. But I think what Jesus is saying here, do not lead us into temptation, but what? Deliver us from the evil one. Again, it's a plea for help in this battle in which we're engaged. It's a plea for help 
and a request for our, and a request for protection from the attacks of the devil. And God is e- God is eager for us to come boldly before the throne of grace with our petitions, with our requests. He tells us, ask, seek, knock. Ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. But here is an important caveat to remember as we boldly pray and petition our God. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Where have we seen those words before? It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before the crucifixion, right? Where there he was struggling. It's really, it's an incredible moment in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He has come into this world full well knowing. Why has he come? He has come to die. He has come to give his life as a ransom. He has come to save. He must go through the agony of the cross, and he knows this, and yet here he is in hours away as the, as the full impact of what, of what this is going to be is, is, is impacting him in his humanity. Remember, he's God, yes, but he is man. He's a human. In his humanity, he cries out to his heavenly Father saying, if there's another way, he says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? The cup is God's wrath, the Father's wrath against sin. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He's not speaking here of the horrible physical agony of the cross alone. I'm sure he wasn't looking forward to that either, but he's speaking of what? When he would be judged or punished for our sins, when he would bear the weight of God's wrath against sin. So if, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, but then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus prayed that not once, not twice, and not three times. But three times he prayed that, and he said what? Thy will be done. I think this is important. When we are boldly and persistently and eagerly petitioning our Heavenly Father, should always be in the spirit of what? Not what I will, but your will be done. Accepting that. You know, here is a profound promise of God here in 1 John chapter 5. But there's a critical stipulation. Listen to it. 1 John 5 verse 13 says, John writing here says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. What an amazing, if we ask anything, what's the stipulation? According to his will. 
So I think we would do well to reflect for just a moment on what his will means here. What does it mean to pray according to his will? Well, I think there are three, three ways that the Bible speaks about the will of God. The first category is what we would call God's sovereign will. That is the secret counsel of God, his purposes, that he purposes certain things to happen and will take place. And God is absolutely going to bring that about. That is his sovereign will. Scripture also speaks of a second sense of God's will, which is what we call God's moral will. That is that he has communicated his standards for what is right and wrong, what is good, what is evil. And it's based upon his own holy and righteous character. It is God's will for us to speak the truth and not lie. It is God's will for us to find our contentment in him and not be covetous. It is God's will for us to honor our parents. These things express his righteous character. That we may or may not be obedient in that, right? Then there's finally what we call God's permissive will, that because sin has entered the world through Adam and Eve, God then also allows certain things to take place in this world that he would not allow in a sinless world. But nevertheless, God uses it to further his ultimate purposes. These are the things that we wonder, why is God allowing this? It's just like God takes no delight in that. This is an evil thing, but God permits it or allows it for ultimately his ultimate sovereign purposes. So we're not privy to the secret counsel of God, his sovereign will. We may or may not be obedient to his moral will. Certainly we should seek to be obedient always, right? But we may be confused though sometimes about why God allows certain things to happen or why he doesn't intervene the way we think he should. But he has his ultimate purposes and reasons. But whatever our questions may be, we can go, though, boldly before him as children of God, knowing that he will always answer out of eternal love and wisdom. Do you believe that? That when you go before God, whatever his answer may be, his answer will always be in accordance with eternal love and wisdom. That's a hard thing for us to accept sometimes, isn't it? But it's true. We need to believe that by faith. God's answer, even when it seems harsh, comes out of eternal love and wisdom. And we will not see that or understand that fully until we are in his presence. So what? I want to encourage us here again with this thought that Jesus has taught us to worship and petition, make requests of our holy heavenly Father with shameless persistence. Next week, we're going to take up that theme of persistence here in the passage. So for today, I just want to ask you this question. What do you want God to do? What do you want God to do in your life? What petitions do you have for God, your heavenly Father, today? And do you trust him that his answer will come out of eternal love and wisdom.
Which will you choose? To worry or to worship? What do you want God to do? And will you believe that he will answer that out of eternal love and wisdom? And let's be persistent, but that's next week. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this eternal hope that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this privilege. What an enormous privilege we have to be your children, to have the gift of eternal life, to have perfect righteousness in Jesus, to have the hope of the resurrection and a new earth, and to be able to have access now before you, the sovereign Lord of the universe, to bring our petition. God, would you, my, would you mold and guide our hearts, our minds, our wills to be in conformity with your heart and with your will and with your purposes? Teach us to pray, Lord. May we come boldly before you with these requests, believing, Lord, that you will answer out of eternal love and wisdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.